Jose Jair Bonilla is the co-founder and CEO of Cheaper, the leading B2B e-commerce platform for independent corner stores in Latin America. He co-founded and led the software studio Imaginamos in Colombia, serving customers in over 10 countries, pioneering the implementation of digital transformation processes across the region, and accumulating over 15 years of development experience in the process. He was part of building Rappi from the ground up, but has been deeply ingrained in the LATAM startup ecosystem long before that. His latest challenge is solving problems for the retail industry with Cheaper, who has a presence in Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. Cheaper raised a $53 million Series B, led by Tiger Global and Osara Capital, to grow their customers' network to over 100,000 corner stores buying goods from them. In this episode, Jose covers opportunities for disruption in the retail industry, the digital transformation landscape in Latin America, and the challenges of holding leadership positions. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. Jose, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on. Thank you, Brian, for having me. So this is fun to have you on. I love uh, chatting with founders because we, we usually chat with founders that have like reached some escape velocity and scaled quite a bit. And the fun thing about this is that I, I remember... Very early on, I got to be involved in your company from like kind of the first months of operation and and you've scaled uh, to an incredible business. We're seeing part of the Columbia group that seen the like, you know, obviously Nubank and Rappi, which you were part of the early story there. And uh, before starting Cheaper, talk about what it means to you and what you think it means for the LATAM tech ecosystem to see all these founders coming out of other, other companies and starting something and, and building great businesses. For sure, Brian, we are waking up. Like entrepreneurs in, in Latin America have always been looking to solve problems, but we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know how to raise capital. Uh, we didn't know even that capital exists. And also, we didn't have the confidence to dream big. After witnessing companies like Nubank and Rappi and other early players, also Mercado Libre, People is figuring out that this is something that they can also do. do. And uh, by seeing how archaic uh, basically uh, most of our industries and, and, and systems are, uh, now people uh, is willing to challenge them, you know, and, and, and build new services, new products to, to provide a better experience for other people that has been relying on traditional companies for decades. So... In my opinion, having companies like like these examples that that that, that we look forward to is a, is a great playbook for every startup to create the conditions for people that works on, in these companies like us uh, to explode their potential, their confidence level, you know, and and, and bring this multiply effect uh, so that more people in the future challenge other systems, you know, and keep building companies that is what is going to help us to transform our countries and our region. So do you think the main thing is just a mindset shift where it's like, oh, this is actually possible. And then kind of by believing it's possible, it just becomes a reality because there's more capital. Is it a combination of both? What do you think the number one factor and variable is? Is it just inspiration from other founders that makes you realize it's possible? For sure. I, I think number one is mindset and thinking that it's possible. But as you experienced when you started Viva Real, also 
now there is access to capital, you know, and founders that are starting companies, they, they can raise uh, a lot of money that two or three, five years ago, or even 10 years ago was way harder to be able to, to achieve that. So, so yeah, it's a combination of other conditions that helps uh, this entrepreneurial ecosystem to be thriving. But the main thing is that now people believe that they can do it. And every complaint that you had in the past about a service or a system that, that you didn't like, now you can do something about it. You know, like I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to provide a better experience for those people that are experiencing uh, whatever service they have today. Uh, and that's how like inception for, for new ideas are, are, are like becoming great companies. I think that's a good segue into talking about the retail industry, right? I mean, I, mean, I remember being in Mexico at one point, sitting in an OXO, and there was uh, a guy you know, with this piece of paper and his clipboard counting individually the number of Coca-Colas there was in the freezer to make sure that they had enough stock. Clearly a market for disruption. Walk me through the opportunities that you're exploring with Cheaper and some of the problem sets that you're solving. For sure. Well, the main opportunity for us is to become the trusted partner for millions of independent store owners that until now, they have been relying their uh, purchases in archaic systems. And basically, the consequence of these archaic systems that are not designed for them is that they have like tough conditions to have a successful business. And for, to give you an example about, about this, uh, a typical corner store is served by a typical distributor every Thursday, has to buy products for a week because the distributor is not going to go to the store anymore during the week. And just imagine how with pen and paper, you can, um, you can buy or decide how many products you need to buy for the next seven days. You know, when, when, when you don't have like systems to be able to make this decision. So just buying for seven days is making you spend your money very inefficiently, you know, buying more or fewer products than you, than you need Two, you are like having, needing more space in, in, in a typical corner store where you have very few space to store your products. And as a consequence of this, your business performs or underperforms to what it could be if you just have the chance to buy for one or two days. So the difference that we're bringing to them like very, in very simple terms is just change the way you buy instead of buying for seven days or even longer, just buy for one day or two days because you can rely on us. You can rely on our service that you find everything you need and we deliver to you with the fastest service, service in the market to make you a better business. You know, that's basically uh, how we are changing or, 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 or disrupting the industry, designing a product and a service for corner stores, no, not for the other side that are suppliers. Uh, so this is what is making us relevant for them. Uh, and this is why they are preferring us. Yeah, you're focusing on the, the actual customer instead of the supplier of all the, all the goods, right? And what's the unique opportunity in Latin America that maybe would surprise people or that, you know, that someone that doesn't understand the dynamics of Latin America that makes it different than the U.S. or, or Europe? For sure. Well, Latin America have close to 3.7 million independent corner stores. Most of them are buying uh, their products through uh, traditional or incumbents 
uh, who provide them uh, with this service, less than 1% of the purchases they do are done through e-commerce. So the opportunity or the big opportunity here is that we believe that all of these corner stores in a more than $300 billion uh, market, you know, are going to transition to digital. Now, I, I can't imagine a corner store 10 years from now uh, waiting for someone to go to the store and, and taking an order in person. They would do it by themselves. Hopefully, they don't have to even use their phones because some product or model is going to predict what they, what they need. But if they do it by themselves, they have their phone and they can do it anytime they want. And we would serve it, serve them as fast as they need it. So going from less than 1% to if you can project something 10 years from now, 30, 40% market share of, of B2B e-commerce, the opportunity is just huge. And, and this is how we enter the market and the, just the, the scratching the surface on a lot of things behind that you can tackle uh, as soon as you dominate or we dominate uh, this um, opportunity. What's your framework for deciding what tangential opportunities to go after? Because it's such a unique business because you're right at the center of all this activity. And then you have all these ancillary things that are happening in the corner stores. So how do you decide and what's your framework for deciding what to do today and what to do later? And how do you say no, given that there's so many opportunities? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. And actually, one of the toughest that we have as, as founders and as, as, as a company is to keep your focus in one thing. Be great just doing one thing and, and, and not move from doing that for years, even having a lot of things around that you can, that you can do to your customers. So first, what we have been doing pretty well is understanding our customer, talking to them constantly and making these as part of our culture. Know, trying to really encourage our people to talk constantly to our customers and bring from them insights to know how we can serve them better. Obviously, they have other needs rather than just purchasing the products that they, that, that they need for the store. But the thing is that right now, we still have a lot of room to grow on the service that we provide for them, the service that we want to provide for them in the future. On, on their purchases, you know, we still have a lot of selection to Im to improve. We still have a lot of service to be improving in terms of uh, delivery times, um, and we still have a lot of prices to be improved. So, we believe that we, as a company, we we have to focus all our efforts on the service that they value the most and really deliver something excellent to them. You know. And until uh, up until that moment where we feel that we have like the numbers that support that we are really providing the best service by far in the industry, you know, and, and it's shown because they are preferring us, for example, with share wallet, that's the moment where you can start thinking how you can increase your product offering for them. Our framework to do this is understanding the customer, you know, validating how good we are on delivering the promise that we are delivering today. And if we still have room to improve and grow on that, we concentrate and focus on the one thing that is going to make us special. And then tangentially, the geographic. I mean, I remember talking with you early on 
and you're like, we're going to Mexico and talking to Carol and she popped down to Mexico and you guys quickly expanded. I mean, it's, it was impressive how fast you were able to execute and expand to Mexico. And before this call, we, you know, we started talking about Brazil, but literally from the very beginning, you guys had a, a regional mindset, probably helps that you're inspired a little bit by Rappi and how fast they were able to expand regionally. But talk about the go-to-market when you enter a new country and what does the strategy look like when you're boots on the ground in a new country? Yeah, to start with an anecdote from a recent talk that I have with the team in Brazil. I, I told them about thinking about expansion, how to think about expansion. Uh, I, I told him, like, have you played Risk, you know, the, 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 this game? In Brazil, it's called War. To explain them how, how to think about expansion, I, I, I asked the, the question to them, how, what's the strategy to win in, in Risk? You know, what's the strategy you, you use to win this game? And usually it's about density. You know, it's about understanding your, your, the city that you are trying to conquer, you know, understanding which zones of this city have more potential, and then building a strategy to start to build density zone by zone. You know, being able to really deliver your best service in each zone and then moving to the next one. And this is just like prioritizing and being focused in following the strategy. It's a hard thing to do because you are always tempted to go to another zone because there are a lot of stores there that you haven't onboarded yet. So probably you would grow faster on, in terms of how many stores you are acquiring. But the thing is that on that zone, you're not, you not still ready to deliver the service that you want to deliver because you don't have a warehouse or you don't have still like enough density to be able to go every day. So it's, it's the go to market is in, in our business is very similar to, to risk. You know, you have to have a, a very clear strategy on how to win, which countries would, or, or zones in, in our business are going to make you the, the business you want to be. They're going to give you the economics and the volume that you need as a, as a company. And as soon as you have dominated one, you move to the next one and so on. So that's what we've been doing in Brazil, for example, that now we have a, a way better playbook than, than when we started Mexico and way even better than when we started Bogota. When we started Bogota, was a, a complete mess. We had like a store in the up corner of the south of Bogota and a store in the up corner at the north of Bogota. We just had like 40 stores, you know, it was improbable to provide them a, a, a good service. But we have learned from, from, from those, uh, let's say, mistakes. And, and now, for example, Brazil in just, this is the third month, April, and we're going to hit a uh, million dollars in sales with close to 10,000 active customers. And this is something that in the past would take us a year. You know, now we, have, we can do it in just a couple of months. So the playbook has been refined. And, and now, well, with his analogy, to the to the risk game, it, 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 it's about that. You know, it's about having a very clear uh, strategy on how to conquer every, every every city, and obviously build a team. You know, the team is like the essence of everything. You have the right team, uh, then they would execute and, and and make the business grow. No, I, I love the the density strategy, and you know, these are things that you just don't know until you're in the thick of it, and you realize that in order for you to have efficiency, you need to have this density. Let's talk a little bit about the business. One thing I love about it is that I'm a big advocate for entrepreneurs 
and you're supporting all these micro entrepreneurs, right? Like throughout these countries, you've got all these shop owners and they're, they're mom and pop, you know, shop owners and you're bringing them to your platform. Your biggest competitor is, is pen and paper um, and the phone, really. How I remember having conversations about education and how to how to onboard customers and how to teach them about the, the benefits of working with you. Talk us through how you were able to work with a very a- analog customer. And I wouldn't describe us as, as a super sophisticated, technologically driven customer. You're bringing a technology solution to them. So talk about the friction points there and how you're able to overcome that to grow your, your supply of stores and partners. Totally. Well, it's about building a new habit, basically, because our customer, this independent store owner, have been relying their purchases in 150 different brands and 20 different providers every day going to their stores. And they're used to wait for people to go to their stores and ask them what they're going to buy for, 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 for their next purchases. And they are used to also to buy, uh, when, if you buy more products, you get a, a higher discount or a, or a better price. And we are offering them completely the opposite. You know, it's please order fewer quantities, you know, and please order more frequently because for you as a business, it's better if you can do it this way rather than buying large quantities or, or, or for higher frequencies. You know, you will be more like a cross-docking business. You will optimize your working capital, your space, and, and for you, it's going to be easier to, to make decisions. This is a business that they, 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 they buy replenishing products. No, that's the way they buy. They don't have systems to project what they're going to sell in the future. So changing the habit, you know, like this is the way that, 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 that we are proposing you for, for now on to buy your products. And we have the service to support that. It's a completely change of mindset of their business. So it takes a lot of um, proofs, you know, conversations with them about how important it is for their business uh, to change this habit. If they do it, what's the impact that they will have? on their business if they change the habit. And when you surprise them, when you deliver same day, for example, someone that orders in the morning and you deliver in the afternoon, and they start doing the numbers and say, okay, why I have to wait someone until next week? You know, If this provides me a service that I order and just deliver in the afternoon, I have never had this type of service in my life. When they realize this and they do the numbers because they, these are very smart people, these are like business people, you know, they, even though it, this, is, this seems to be a, a simple business, it, it isn't a simple business. Imagine you have to decide about more than 3,000 SKUs, which price you're going to sell, at which price you're going to buy your customers. It, it's a complex business. So, uh, and they do everything uh, with pen and paper and, and, and their experience. So for us, it's being about acquisition, it's been about communicating how we create value because we are offering them or we are proposing them a new way of doing things. And that means or, 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 or to, to be able to make them realize that, that, that this is better for them is very important to educate, you know, how they can like harness technology for their businesses and become a more, a more successful business if they are able to make this shift. And that's what we see when, 
For example, uh, a typical astronomer start testing us with one or two orders in the first month. And when you go after 12 months, there are store orders doing more than 10 orders per month. You know, they don't buy 10 times to any other provider, even directly from suppliers or distributors. They, they, they don't behave like this. The reason that they behave like this with us is because our service is making more sense for them. That's how, that's how we prove that the service is better and that students that, that stay with us, they really value what we, are, what we are proposing to them. Have you found a way to get your existing customer base to, because I mean, if you're in the north of Bogota and then you've got a store, Suba or something, that's you know not super near, you're not a competitor of that store because it's a hyper-local business. Have you found you've able to enchant a few customers and then they are really sharp people that have been running business for a long time very effectively and now they're embracing this new technology. Have you found that you've been able to create like leadership inside your customer base that becomes a spokesperson because it clearly is a better way to do business? Has that been a growth channel for you? Yeah, actually for our acquisition strategy, we have uh, two channels. One is digital campaigns and the other are what we call hunters, basically our food agents going store by store. To give you an example of this, in the beginning of Brazil, we acquired 90% through hunters, food agents, and just 10% digitally. In Colombia, that is a more advanced market, we are acquiring 50-50, 50 digital and 50 with food agents. And the, and the reason for this 50% is that as soon as they start seeing the same truck delivering every day to the same zone, all the other store owners start, start asking themselves, okay, who's Brian buying from? You know, that this is not common. Who, who are these guys bringing products? And they start asking to the delivery guy or even to the, to the neighbor, okay, who, who are you ordering from? You know? And then they say, okay, we are ordering from cheaper. They bring us things the uh, same or next day. And that's something that is, as a, as a network effect, helping us to bring these customers, these 50% of digital customers, that we don't have to go to their stores to pitch them what they do and they start ordering by themselves. So it's a process, or for us, it has been a process where we have been able to create this effect after we have already, the, as we mentioned at the beginning, build the initial density. You know, that's the second group or cohort in the same zone is, is coming easier and faster because of already knowing uh, that we exist. And, and also validating that someone is using us and we can be trusted. Now, there's a, obviously a massive digital transformation happening in the region. But as you stated earlier, less than 1% of B2B purchases are, are done online. You know, you casually threw out you know, a 30% number. You know, who knows what it is in 10 years? We know that it's going to grow. There's zero question about that. What do you think, besides COVID, what will be the primary accelerant to making that happen faster? Yeah, there are three main things that are accelerating this, this transformation. One is uh, generally generational change. You know, new stores are, are being uh, launched, but also uh, inherited by younger people. And these younger people, they don't want to run their, their businesses like their parents. You know, they know that technology, their phone, are tools to eliminate a lot of problems and a lot of friction. So this transition to these new uh, retail owners, obviously, is a huge um, 
lever for us for growth because they are looking for new new options, better options for them, you know. And that's one of the of the of the main things that are are changing. The second is that most of these store owners now they are willing to embrace technology. Or they are they are and not because of COVID, just because now they are used to technology on everyday basis. Until now, the only apps that they use frequently are like WhatsApp, Facebook, or YouTube. They, they are not used to use their phone uh, to operate their, their business or, or for other products because most of the products that are like imported as an idea from the US or Europe are not relevant from them. They, they don't use Airbnb. They don't use Uber. Like it, that, that's not something that on, on a daily basis. So embracing technology is one of the main things that they are looking forward to do, and they know that they need it. They know that they need systems to become better business. So this is obviously uh, a huge lever also for, 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 for us to grow. And the third one is that on the other side, also suppliers are looking for better uh, options to, to uh, su- supply this, this channel. You know, Until now, they have been using these archaic systems, but now they are seeing that companies like us are providing a way better service and a way, a way better, better value proposition for stores, and they are also investing heavily in making this transition because for them it's also better. We are a company that provides to suppliers information about what's happening in the market, how 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 their stores are buying uh, their products. You know that's something that they don't have from a typical wholesaler. You know, that's something that for them has been very hard to see in the past, and that's something that helped them also to make better decisions. So we are very close to the industry, working together. We have great partners that are also investing in making this happen because they want the transition to, 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 to be a reality. And they know that it's inevitable that companies like Cheaper will become the new incumbents 10 years from now. So uh, I think those three are the, the main things that are uh, helping the transformation of, of, of this channel. Yeah, man, the, the amount of data that you're get, gathering is pretty astounding, right? And fortunately, you've got, as a founder, you've got some experience with designing and developing digital products. Not every CEO has the luxury of having a bit of a technical background. Is there a technical skill that you believe that's made your CEO journey a little bit easier or in some ways better? For sure. Uh, leading a tech company uh, like Cheaper after building software for more than 13 years, Arimaginamos have been a huge help uh, in the way that I, I, I and my founding team and the initial employees of the company that all of us uh, comes from Imaginamos. It's, it's the software studio that we that, that we came from. Um, how we how we think about product, how we think about solving problems, and the mindset of a builder. Because basically, in, at Imaginamos, we were hired to build. That that was our mission, you know. So by doing, we we, we did. We, we always have the number of seven thousand projects. So basically, we were hired to build more than seven thousand times in the past, and definitely repeating this process for so many times helps you a lot when you have a problem or an idea or an opportunity. How to look at that opportunity from the with the product and the tech eyes, you know how how you can build something that can solve this problem and then you can use this technology to scale uh, the solution to all of your operations. 
So definitely it's been a, for, for, for me, a blessing to be able to uh, build technology for, for such a long time. And it's helping, uh, obviously has helped me to navigate or be able to navigate uh, and command the boat uh, a bit better than if I didn't have the, the skill. I think this is a good segue to this. I got a couple more questions before we close out. You mentioned these skills like technology, but another thing that you've been in leadership roles for now over 15 years, what would you say is the most difficult thing about being a leader? That's a, a great question. To me, being, being a leader uh, and the most difficult thing that I have, that I have faced is developing like the self-discipline needed to work in your mindset, to build a strong mindset, and also to become a better person in terms of like, person, but also professionally every day. I really, I believe that a leader needs to transform themselves into a better person so that they can rise up to the challenge, you know, and continuously raise the bar on what you are capable of doing. Showing that example is, is, is how we try to inspire our, our teams, our people, so that they also um, adopt this habit of training and self-discipline to become better for themselves and for their teams. Uh, that to me, and, and, and sustain this for years, you know, waiting patiently the, for something great to, to show up, like, like for us happened uh, through cheaper 13 years after starting a, a career in technology. Um, I think it's, a, it's one of the hardest things that, 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 that you would face uh, as a leader, as an entrepreneur. And vocal about how kind of grateful you are that you get to build something that you enjoy, you know, you get to make a living at it. But we, we all know that the, the road is without, not without bumps. What are some of the maybe challenges that you face or anything in particular that maybe made you rethink about the, the craziness of building a company? I know that you're very possessed to make it happen. So maybe you weren't close to throwing in the towel at any point, but what's been a hard moment where you're like, geez, this is, uh, <laughs> This is a bit crazy. <laughs> That's a great question, Brian. Well, one of the main challenges and, and, and hardest things that we have faced in, 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 at Imaginamos, um, we had an eternal one-month runway. And one-month runway for so long, we, all, we were a service company. So to be able to pay for uh, to our people, we had to deliver to our customers and they have to accept what we were delivering so they can pay to us and then we can pay to our, to our um, employees. And every month for 13 years, we started the month with zero money in the account. And we had to do everything that we had to do or whatever we have to do to be able to bring enough money to get to the end of the month and be able to pay the full amount to our employees. We went through months that we couldn't achieve that. And one of the most like memorable anecdotes that we have with our team from back then that we, today we get together and we laugh about it was the, the 30, the, the, the 30 day of every month. Like people was waiting for the uh, money to get to their banks. You know, it was like, okay, are we, did we, did we make it or not? You know, and this happened for, a lot of time now it's, it's funny. Obviously, you don't want this to happen, but that was our, our reality. You no, know, we always 
we, we created profits, but we always reinvested in the company, hiring more people to be able to, to develop more projects, you know, and, and that obviously helped us to build a great company in the past, but also put us at, at risk every month. So that was very challenging for us. Uh, now you laugh about it and it's very memorable. And at that moment, we were probably in the right age or moment in our lives to, 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 to support those kind of, of things. But obviously we had a very tough days where, where we weren't able to make it, you know, and, and, and it extended five, 10 days later. Um, and we were like, okay, the, the, the thing is that even the problem is big, we have to solve it. We don't have another option, you know? So let's go out and, and do whatever we have to do to bring it back. Those to me are the main challenges that I have faced. And, and, and basically these also, uh, shaped how I am today. This is, this is, this building me the need to make things happen, you know, and, and basically it, the, the, the biggest problem you can have is not being able to pay to your people. And, and even we didn't achieve it in some specific months, we always were there looking forward how to make this happen. So what was the biggest lesson that, that you learned in the Imaginamos days when you're kind of scraping together money every month? kind of living on the edge a little bit, what was the skill set that you developed or the, the biggest kind of lesson that you took away from that experience that you've since applied to your now very scaled large company that's well capitalized? I think, Brian, it's all about the people you surround. We've been fortunate to have the best people that I know uh, in our industry working with us for all those years. Some of them are in Rappi, some of them are in Chipper, some of them have built their own companies, uh, and some of them have supported other great companies to, to become what they are. And, and I always, when I always go back and try to, to remember what were the, mo the most special things that, that, that we had at that moment that helped us to get to this, to this point, it's always about people. It's always about who you surround and how you grow with them together, you know, how you build trust among them, how you build friendship among them, um, how you solidify these relationships that on the early days of your career. So that when you have the opportunity to build something great, you can grab your phone, call 10 tigers and guys, this is something that we're going to do. And they're going to be the next hour at your side to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I mean, you build a uh, a real strong team dynamic where people kind of show up for each other and you can count on people. That's such an integral part of having a, a strong kind of foundation as a company. Well, listen, thank you for the chat. You know, it's great to hear about your experience and see all this like condensed knowledge that exists when you're, you know, you're, you're at the early days, you're building, a, you know, websites. And I remember Imaginamos in Colombia and you guys were a reference you built tons of great projects. And so you really developed the muscle, right? And the skill that became, and it's hard to connect the dots, like at the time. It's unclear that like all of the things that you're learning at that, at that time are gonna somehow be applicable to something greater in the future. And that the suffering and the pain is actually gonna result in building the muscle that you need in order to be successful in your next project. So I think that's a good reminder for people when you're building something, it's hard to connect the dots, you know, kind of the Steve Jobs, you know, in the moment. But like when you look back, you're like, oh, that all these projects we were able to build, 
the camaraderie we built as a team, the trust that we built, that's all super applicable to now enable you to build such an important company. Definitely, Brian. Um, I, I always say, tell our team that every day that they have to see it as an opportunity for them to be prepared for the next big thing for them. And thinking as, as the owners of something, that is what we did uh, at Imaginamos, and getting away about thinking as, as, as an employee, just doing your job, you know, and really every day trying to do the best you can, you know, invest the most time you can to uh, over accomplish what you are looking forward to do, it will prepare you. And you never know when the next opportunity is going to knock at your door. So I always tell, like, hopefully it's going to knock at your door and you are prepared for that. Because if you didn't uh, use every day to be prepared, it could take you, like for me, 13 years. It could take you a couple of years. Hopefully it will be less time happens to me. No, but even if you have to wait for 13 years for this to happen, Every day you have to go out trying to do your best and think as uh, the owner of something. If you do that, when the opportunity knocks at your door, you will be ready. It's amazing what happens when you have people with that mentality, right? Like they naturally rise to the top when you have someone just with kind of that ownership mentality. And particularly in early days, like there's, there's a lot of like work that needs to be done. And those people that are less concerned about their title more concerned about just how to build value for an organization, like by default, they end up becoming super important in the company. And, and then obviously it prepares them for their next thing too, if they want to go start a company or if they end up taking a senior role in another, in another company, because that's just the, the evolution. So I think that the mindset is so important to people that are just there and that are really focused on, you know, thinking like an owner. Um, last thing before we close out, what do you think, now, if you look at the people that you've had the pleasure of working with and the people that were early team members that have you know, helped scale the organization and evolved, what are two things that they've done that really demonstrate ownership or an owner's mentality? Well, two things. One, they are always questioning the business, how it works, um, anything that you assume or any hypothesis that you have about something, they're always trying to question and find an answer. You know, you, you, you don't stay just not knowing. You, you just ask and go for the information that you need to be able to answer the question that you need for whatever you are solving or whatever you're going to do. And that's not everyone uh, is curious about things, you know, like getting deeper and trying to understand uh, things deeper. And the second one is always about w the willingness you have to help others, to make them better also. Like the commitment to dedicate time to people and give them everything you have, you know. That's something that also not everyone uh, does. And, and to me, is 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 very important uh, as a definition of who you are, and also what you want for people. You know, you have a commitment with your teams to to make them better and to make them successful. So you have to commit to that. You know, and to commit to that, you have to train and learn, but also dedicate time and and, and give them all the tools and all the knowledge that you have 
so far. So those two things to me are a key part of entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, I happen to be the CEO of Cheapers, probably because I stayed for longer or, or I was at the lead of the company at that moment, you know. But every entrepreneur that has uh, lived this process with us, even if they're in Rappi or in, in Cheaper or, or whatever, I know they are special people for the company. It doesn't matter the, the title. What matters is that without them, these companies won't even able to exist. I love it. Well, first of all, thanks so much for making the time. I know you're busy with your expansion plans and growth. And it's been really fun to see you on this journey from the very beginning and to see what you've accomplished in the last couple of years. So excited to see the future of it. Thank you for letting me be on the journey as someone that got to write an early check and thrilled, obviously, not just as a shareholder, but just as someone that's got had an opportunity to see you evolve and build an incredible business. And it's still very early, which is the exciting thing. We're talking less than 1% B2B e-commerce. Like it's just the, the, the market is just enormous. And the, the impact, you know, I mentioned cheaper in my book because I really think that the impact uh, to what you're building is, is incredible too. And it affects a lot of people. So I'm really happy to be part of the journey with you. Small part, but nevertheless, the part of it. Uh, it's a pleasure, Brian, to be here with you. Thank you also for being part of, of this journey. You've been amazing partner, a friend, and, you know, as always, um, I'm always supporting anything uh, that, that, that you're doing. And, well, we are sure that through Cheaper, as you mentioned, we're going to really be transformative for our own lives, for our, for our people, but also for our customers. And that's a mission that, that we're pursuing. Uh, and hopefully in the future, we will have uh, the, the, the proof that, that, that we have achieved it. Awesome, man. Well, uh, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, if anyone's looking for a challenging opportunity, you know, I know that you're constantly hiring great people. So look forward to continuing to, to follow you on the journey. And uh, of course, uh, I'm here to help in any way. So vamos Latam and vamos Cheaper. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Jose Jair Bonilla co-founder and CEO of Cheaper. Be sure to check out latitude.com to find out how to apply to our fellowship program and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.